The fate of Roe versus Wade is on the line, not to mention millions of unborn babies. With the Supreme Court today hearing oral arguments in the case of Dobbs v. Jackson Women's Health Organization. That question is whether or not a Mississippi law that bans abortions after 15 weeks of pregnancy is a violation of federal law. We'll take a look at the arguments and how the justices responded in tonight's Hold the Line. Welcome to Hold the Line, I'm Buck Sexton. It's as big a decision as you will see in the Supreme Court in our lifetimes, and it looks as though it will happen sometime in June of 2022. Is Mississippi's restriction on abortion based upon the amount of time a baby has been in the womb, is it constitutional? But at issue here, of course, is what about the entire framework of Roe v. Wade and of Planned Parenthood v. Casey and other decisions the Supreme Court has handed down in the past that fabricated, and I do believe that is the correct term, even if it's not the one that is technically in usage all the time, a right to abortion when one does not exist, nor is it even addressed in the constitutional framework in any way. Well, here is the Mississippi Solicitor General Scott Stewart making his opening statement, and it was a powerful one. Roe versus Wade and Planned Parenthood versus Casey haunt our country. They have no basis in the Constitution. They have no home in our history or traditions. They've damaged the democratic process. They poison the law. They've choked off compromise. For 50 years, they've kept this court at the center of a political battle that it can never resolve. And 50 years on, they stand alone. Nowhere else does this court recognize a right to end a human life. And it should never have recognized that right. But the left believes very strongly in this. In fact, it is the closest thing that the Democrat Party really has to a religious right these days, R-I-T-E on that one. They think that this will set women back decades, this will destroy women's equality, women's liberty, and the arguments are always a flurry, a frenzy of things that don't really ever add up, but they just keep throwing stuff at people who believe that babies in the womb should be protected as human beings under law. Leftist and really subpar jur uh, jurist Sonia Sotomayor today, during the oral arguments, actually compared the unborn to people who are brain dead. Listen. Virtually every state defines a brain death as death. Yet the literature is filled with episodes of people who are completely and utterly brain dead responding to stimuli. Um, it, there's about 40% of dead people who, if you touch their feet, the foot will recoil. There are spontaneous acts by dead brain people. So I don't think that a response to, uh, by a fetus necessarily proves that there's a sensation of pain or that there's consciousness. She is not a scientist and doesn't know what the heck she's talking about. But even beyond that, there's the issue of the focus entirely by the Democrats and the uh, Biden administration solicitor general today on the rights of women in this instance and not the right of the male or female unborn child in the womb. Here is Supreme Court Justice Alito making a point about how the fetus has a very clear interest in life. The fetus 
has an interest in having a life, and that doesn't change, does it, from the point before viability to the point after viability? In, in some people's view, it doesn't, Your Honor, but what the court said is that those philosophical differences couldn't be resolved well, in a way— the, that, what I'm, That's what I'm getting at. What is the philosophical argument, the secular philosophical argument for saying this is the appropriate line? There are those who say that the rights of personhood should be considered to have uh, taken hold um, at a point when the fetus acquires certain independent characteristics. But viability is dependent on medical technology and medical practice. It has changed. It may continue to change. Viability, a key issue discussed today, meaning when a fetus can survive as a person outside the womb. That had been something of a marker used in the past for when abortion restrictions could or have been instituted. And as was pointed out there by Alito, that's entirely arbitrary. When is a fetus actually viable? It depends on the individual, depends on the medical technology in usage. And that uh, period of time keeps expanding, meaning viability is getting to be uh, larger and broader in the scope of the gestation of a fetus. So why would that be the basis one way or the other for when one could abort a baby, considering all the other factors at play? And then, of course, there was... So the viability point just seems like sophistry. It, it doesn't actually address any of the underlying philosophical issues. This was just a line that they drew arbitrarily in order to continue the practice of abortion. And then... It came to an issue of stare decisis, Latin basically for precedent. What we've decided in the past must be respected. Yeah, until it's not. Uh, the libs were tearing in today to the issue of uh, precedent, hoping to hide behind that really more than almost anything else in this one, other than just words about liberty and equality, as if that is somehow persuasive when you're talking about ending someone's life who's innocent and done nothing wrong. Uh, but Kavanaugh listed a series of cases where, yeah, there is precedent, but there's also a need to do what the Constitution requires, and that means overturning cases in the past that were wrongly decided, like these cases. Think about some of the most important cases, the most consequential cases in this Court's history. There's a string of them where the cases overruled precedent, Brown v. Board, uh, outlawed separate but equal. Uh, Baker versus Carr, which set the stage for one person, one vote. West Coast Hotel, which recognized the state's authority to regulate business. Miranda versus Arizona, which required police to give warnings when the right to about the right to remain silent and to have an attorney present to suspects in criminal custody. Lawrence v. Texas, said that the state may not prohibit same-sex conduct. They were presented in ar with arguments in those cases adhere to precedent in Brown v. Board, adhere to Plessy uh, in West Coast Hotel, adhere to Atkins, and adhere to Lochner. And if the court had done that in those cases, uh, you know, this, the country would be a much different place. It would, that's for sure. The precedent argument is just semantics, really. If this is, and it is a hugely important decision, if it was wrongly decided in the past, it is incumbent upon the, port, uh, upon the court to rightly decide it now. And then there's also just something to be aware of. The abortion industry, the abortion lobby, the activists, some of them display something 
deeply wrong on an emotional and psychological level. Here are some abortion activists outside of the Supreme Court today. feel sorry for those women. It would be a, a tragic thing to go through life with that as your moral compass. All right, we'll have more on the arguments in today's landmark hearing with Liz Wheeler of The Liz Wheeler Show when we come back. Let me tell you about a potential investment opportunity. You ever thought about investing in real estate, but you didn't want to make big rookie mistakes? Well, that's why I need to check out doneforyoubuck.com. You can learn more about my friends at Done For Your Real Estate. These guys have found a way to make real estate investing very straightforward. Their system works. In fact, I use it. I've been using it successfully now for over a year. I can't tell you in strong enough terms what these guys do and how they make it all so simple for you in a quick commercial. So how about this? If you visit doneforyoubuck.com, at the top of the page is a podcast interview I did with Done For Your Real Estate. You can hear about my experience as an investor with their company in my own words. I'll tell you about it in detail. Picking the city, the house, getting the broker, the loan, even getting a tenant in place so I get cash flow coming to me every month. Visit doneforyoubuck.com, listen to the podcast interview, and give my friends a chance to show you what they can do for you. We'll be right back with Liz Wheeler in a moment. Oral arguments were heard in today's Supreme Court hearing of Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization. Abortion activists are very concerned. On Monday, Democrat Senator Gene Shaheen predicted there would be a, quote, revolution if the high court overturned its landmark Roe v. Wade decision, which would hand the issue of abortion back to the states. Republicans have long pushed for Roe v. Wade to be overturned, with nearly 230 GOP lawmakers calling on the high court to repeal it just over the summer. Host of the Liz Wheeler Show, Liz Wheeler, joins us now to share her analysis. Liz, good to see you. Buck, thanks so much for having me. It's great to be here. So what was your primary takeaway? I mean, I spent the morning listening to these oral arguments, taking notes, drinking my coffee, trying to come up with where I think this is all heading. What do you think? I was actually a little bit surprised with how the arguments went at the Supreme Court today. Uh, I will admit that I went into this a little bit cynical. I think on my show yesterday, I predicted that the court would not overturn Roe v. Wade. And now I feel, I mean, I, I also said I hope I'm wrong, but now I feel a little bit less sure of my yesterday analysis because I was shocked at how weak the arguments from the pro-abort were in front of these nine justices today. The crux of their argument was essentially twofold. One, that Roe is some sort of super precedent that can't be overturned. I mean, I, I think it was Alito that actually asked, can a ruling from a previous Supreme Court be overturned just on the basis that it's egregiously wrong. And these pro-aborts that were arguing in favor of Roe said no, that even if a ruling is egregiously wrong, it's precedent and it can't be overturned. We know, Buck, that that's faulty legal analysis. I mean, just think of Plessy versus Ferguson um, that upheld racial segregation in the United States. It was precedent for what, 60 years, almost 60 years, until it was overturned by Brown versus Board of Education. That was the first argument. And the second argument from the left was an unscientific argument. That, it, that this is about, that abortion is about the woman's body only, about woman's bodily autonomy and women's choice. 
And we know that there's that that's not scientifically true. Abortion impacts two bodies, the body of the woman and the body of the baby. And that that's the competing interest here um, that the court decides. So I thought the arguments from the left were actually shockingly weak. Justice Sotomayor pressed the Mississippi Solicitor General on how, in her view, clearly Sotomayor's, this is just a religious issue. Play that one. How is your interest anything but a religious view? Um, the issue of when life begins has been hotly debated by philosophers since the beginning of time. It's still debated in religions. So when you say this is the only right that takes away from the state the ability to protect the life, that's a religious view, isn't it? Because it assumes that a fetus is life at when you're not drawing your when do you suggest we begin that life what do you say well i say of course it's a religious issue just like you know whether or not we're allowed to murder someone or assault someone or rape someone is fundamentally a religious issue all matters of right and wrong all matters of morality are fundamentally philosophical issues and philosophy. The idea of objective truth is uh, rooted in our religious beliefs. It's rooted, and you know, as a Christian, I believe it's rooted in what was taught to us by Jesus Christ. You can't get away from that. Sotomayor is using this. She knows what she's doing, by the way. This is a false argument. Um, she's using this just to try to um, distract from the fact that abortion ends the life of an innocent human child, because even science says life begins at the moment of conception, the moment a sperm fuses with an egg, and that therefore it's wrong morally, ethically, and legally to end the life of that child. It doesn't matter if it's also a religious issue. Every issue of right and wrong is a religious issue. But what matters at the Supreme Court is whether the Constitution includes a right to abortion, and it certainly does not. Sotomayor also said on an issue of fetal pain, well, I just want the audience to, to hear this, because I think this was a moment that a lot of people were particularly aghast. I think Sotomayor did a lot of good for the pro-life side today against her wishes or against her intentions. Here's what she said about fetal pain. Justice Sotomayor uh, says, evidence of fetal pain is not proof of life. Uh, that was, the, that was the, the takeaway, I should say, from her comments today, Liz. Uh, that was pretty jarring for a lot of people to hear. It's extremely jarring, and it should be extremely jarring because the idea that, not the idea, the truth, the reality that over 60 million unborn babies have been aborted in our country thanks to a unconstitutional ruling in Roe v. Wade is shocking. I mean, we, 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 what we should be doing today, Buck, is we should take this opportunity to talk about the reality of what abortion is, what the procedures are in the first trimester, the second trimester, the third trimester, that a first trimester abortion suffocates an unborn child, a second trimester abortion rips the child limb from limb, a third trimester abortion injects poison into the heart of the child to induce a fatal heart attack. And this, this is what they're trying to defend. This is what the left wants to be legal. They want taxpayers to fund this. No, as a nation, it's time for us to say enough. This is not in our constitution. It's not in any historical precedent to have this be legal. And it's time for the court to be courageous and say, listen, this has gone on for long enough, and we are going to overturn a ruling which was wrong to begin with. Liz, I have to say, on, on the screen there, there were some of the abortion activists outside the Supreme Court today who were celebrating the taking of abortion pills. Sometimes there is honestly a, a glee that is apparent 
among abortion activists that talking about the abortion procedure. You know, there are a lot of political issues where we can reasonably disagree on things, but when you see people acting like an abortion is something to celebrate and a great act of liberty and freedom for women, it's hard not to feel like there is a real darkness that has gotten far too close to the American soul. Well, listen, first of all, it breaks my heart to see these women that have been victimized, they've been abused, they've been exploited. Um, when you face an unexpected pregnancy, that it is difficult. I mean, I gave birth to my daughter earlier this year, and even in a stable marriage with a stable family and stable finances, it's very difficult to be pregnant. So. Uh, my heart, as all of our hearts should go out to women facing these circumstances, and when women are told by the abortion industry that they are not enough as women, that they cannot do both, they cannot handle this, they must resort to abortion, they must turn to abortion, this is heartbreaking. It's a cultural issue that conservatives and Christians are fighting, and we can, should continue to fight that because women are enough and they can do both. But there's certainly a satanic element to this. I mean, it was the it was the satanic temple, I think, in Texas that actually posted on Twitter this past week about an abortion ritual that they have their members go through. This is a religious issue to people, not in the sense that Christians are trying to impose a theocracy on the American people. This is a religious issue in the sense that the left is discarding science, they're discarding law, they're discarding humanity in favor, uh, in favor of abortion at the altar of abortion. It's not just the far left, of course, it's the mainstream Democrat party that's calling for this. Here's what Joe Biden said today. First of all, I haven't, uh, I, I didn't see any of the debate today, uh, the, just the presentation today. And uh, I support Roe v. Wade. I think it's a rational position to take. And, uh, and I continue to support it. What do you make of it? Well, Joe Biden has no idea what he's talking about, per usual. Um, I bet if a reporter asked him what the basis of Roe v. Wade was, what the legal justification for this ruling, he would have absolutely no idea. So that, that's the first part. The second part is, as a Catholic, abortion is a grave moral sin. Joe Biden pretends to be a practicing Catholic. He ought to be ashamed of himself for supporting, as from the political highest position in our land, supporting the atrocity that is abortion. Yeah. Thanks for being with us, Liz. Appreciate it. Thank you, Buck. The trial of Gillian Maxwell began this week. Maxwell is accused of trafficking and grooming young women on behalf of Jeffrey Epstein. We'll talk to senior editor at Human Events, Jack Posobiec, about developments in that case when we come back. Right now, I want to talk about my digital money. Crypto is heating up again. A lot of people are going to want to get in on the action for the first time. Where do you start? Bitcoin, Ethereum, Dogecoin, all these coins out there. How do you know where to go? That's where my digital money comes in. It's an easy-to-use, self-trading crypto IRA platform with incredible customer service. It's one of the few US-based crypto companies that'll answer your phone call and help you get started. Your comfort and security is their top priority. They offer an unparalleled military-grade security for your coins and amazing customer service. They'll actually answer your phone call and help you get started. Call them now at My Digital Money. I'm sorry, the website rather. You can call them after you go to the website, mydigitalmoney.com. Again, that's mydigitalmoney.com. And Jack Posobiec is coming up when we return. After a life of excess and luxury, the fate of Gilan Maxwell now rests in the hands of 12 jurors in a federal court. The trial began on Monday with prosecutors arguing that Maxwell abetted the crimes of Jeffrey Epstein with girls as young as 14. Assistant U.S. Attorney Lara Pomerantz stated in her opening statement that Maxwell was Epstein's best friend and right hand. 
and that she was involved in every detail of Epstein's life. Meanwhile, the defense argues that Maxwell is actually the victim only on trial because of her association with Epstein. Right. Joining me now to discuss this is Jack Posobiec, the senior editor at Human Events. Jack, good to see you. Buck, always a pleasure. Thanks for having me on. So, so you've actually been following this trial. I feel like there's almost an effort to maybe not have that many people following it. It feels like it's not getting the attention that it would otherwise. Um, uh, what, what's going on here? What do we need to know about the Ghislaine Maxwell trial thus far? So Ghislaine Maxwell trial, um, it's, it's, it's actually pretty open and shut to tell you the truth. You know, you have the, the main centerpiece of this, and this has actually happened today in court, um, one and yesterday as well, several of the victims of Jeffrey Epstein are now coming forward for the first time in uh, well, in public in the sense that they're in the courthouse. However, their names are not being released uh, publicly, but they are there in the courtroom. If, they're, if you're there if you're, uh, as public or media in front of the judge, in front of the jury, in front of the defendant, of course, Jelaine Maxwell here, you are, they are now all coming forward. So these are girls and the one who uh, spoke today uh, actually broke down under, under cross-examination in tears. Uh, they were accusing her of making these arguments that, oh, you're just doing this for money. You've just um, uh, for misremembering things. Um, you're you're doing all this because you want attention. I mean, really, really bad arguments right on their side. Um, things that are definitely not going to sway a jury, right? Um, this was kind of a binger moment. If you remember that guy from the uh, the Kyle Rittenhouse um, debacle of a case up there. And what's really happening is most, more than likely, Ghislaine Maxwell, I, I really do think it's kind of a slam dunk. She is going to be found guilty. She's going to be convicted of all counts here. But the real question for me is, why was she not offered a plea deal by federal prosecutors, including one of the lead prosecutors on this case, Maureen Comey, the daughter of James Comey, right? Maybe she has a higher loyalty, her father being the former head of the FBI, uh, a very high level official in the DOJ. She was never offered a plea deal. And I think that at a certain narrative level, the media doesn't want anyone talking about the broader Epstein network and things that it might, uh, and people that it might wrap up or Jack, include. Can, can, can I jump in there for one second? Because I think this is very important. Yeah. I mean, you, you, you bring up the, the critical point about the lack of any plea deal with Gillian Maxwell, which seems very strange. Uh, one thing we learned from the Epstein case when there was a focus on it was that there was a lot of what seemed very clearly to be a blackmail operation underway, right? Yes. There were surveillance cameras in all different rooms of the house. We knew there was a lot of illicit sexual activity going on, exploitation of underage girls. Have we really seen any names come out of this? I mean, who? It, it's, it's remarkable that Epstein was running a blackmail operation and there seemed to be no people that were actually being blackmailed that we've been told about yet. That is exactly right. This isn't an investigation. This is a cover-up, right? They want to pin all this on Ghislaine Maxwell. Epstein's dead. He died in his cell uh, a year ago or almost two years ago now. Um, Ghislaine Maxwell, she's left, so we're going to pin this all on her, and then she's going to go away. She's going to go to jail for the rest of her life, and we're never going to be able to talk about this again. That's what they want. They were entirely focused on Ghislaine Maxwell, pin the entire thing on her, and then hope that people just forget about that little black book, forget about who flew on that airplane, and most importantly, to your point, forget who exactly it was on these tapes. Look, I don't want to see the tapes. I, I feel terrible that these tapes exist, but I do think 
that the public has an absolute right to know what exactly is going on with our government, with high-level financial officials, the, all of these power players that were involved, international figures that were involved with Epstein and what was clearly a back blackmail operation. How can we actually know what's going on in the highest levels of power in our country if we don't understand the level of blackmail or the role that blackmail plays? Um, Geraldo had some thoughts on this that I wanted to have you react to, Jack. Here he is defending Ghislaine Maxwell in, in some way. Watch. I am outraged by the Maxwell case. You talked about Daryl Brooks, the, uh, the creep who ran over his girlfriend, then killed six people in the, in the fraid, and he was out of $1,000 bail. Ghislaine Maxwell has been in jail for 17 months for no bail. They give her no bail. She is sitting in prison prior to trial, accused, get this, of events that happened between 1994 Geraldo, and 1997. She's a flight she's risk. She's a flight risk. Educate you on solitary the confinement. Bail law. You know, 17 uh, wait, months. You're defending 17 a months. sex trafficker. I am defending justice. Sex trafficker. This, the prosecutor in this case are guilty of political lawyering. She deserves to sit in jail. Because you don't even know she's guilty. How do you know? Where is she going to hide? Everywhere. She can hide overseas because She's been nobody knows where right the money here. is. This is ridiculous. Way to stand Injustice. up for a sex trafficker. What do you make of that, Jack? Well, I, th I think this is a longstanding history of Geraldo. He likes to kind of take contrarian stands so that he gets attention. People will talk about him, and he's 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 quite good at this. And here we are talking about him again. Um, you know, I, I, obviously the situation is with Gillian Maxwell that clearly she is a flight risk, right? She is, of course, a British citizen, but we also know that uh, she dealt with multiple passports. Her father was involved in uh, being able to travel all around the world. Um, she has access to be able to travel. She was. Uh, they found her in, a, in an estate, a 150-acre estate in New Hampshire after looking for her for months, uh, registered under a false name and all these other pretenses. Uh, she clearly was one of the operations managers for Epstein. So I do think that it's quite reasonable that in a situation like that, given her ample resources, she clearly would be a flight risk. Now, also, Jack, I want to ask you, because you seem pretty fired up about this. Dr. Oz is running for yes. Senate on the Republican ticket in your home state of Pennsylvania. What do you make of this? Yeah, we're not going to be letting that happen, Buck. That's um, that's unacceptable to me. That's unacceptable to the people of the great Commonwealth of Pennsylvania from whence I hail. And uh, really what I've been spending the last 24 hours since I heard about this doing was because, look, Dr. Oz is coming out and telling everybody I'm a conservative Republican. And that's my issue, right? If he were coming out and saying I'm going to run as an independent or a liberal Democrat, which he is, um, he's very close friends with Oprah. We all know that she basically gave him his career, same as Dr. Phil. That then I could understand. But when, for this guy who's pushed critical race theory, who's pushed systemic racism all and Black Lives Matter all throughout 2020, for this guy who's pushed uh, bail reform laws, the same kind of bail reform laws that got a kid killed at Temple University in Philadelphia, where I used to go, right? Those same laws that were pushed by Dr. Phil, or excuse me, Dr. Oz, and the same guy who also supported this guy, Rodney Reed, who was a child rapist convicted of murder down in Texas, uh, just because, hey, this is what we're going for, and it's all criminal justice reform and woke this. By the way, Buck, I've got an entire episode. I haven't even clipped this up yet. He did a trans kids episode a few years ago. So it's like, 
okay, dude, you want to tell everybody you're a conservative Republican? Let's check the receipts. Yes, yeah, sounds like Jack is not, not on team Dr. Oz here, and that's putting it mildly. Jack, always appreciate your, uh, your perspective, my friend. Good to see you. All right, take care, Buck. Yet another defeat for the Biden administration this week as a federal judge has blocked federal vaccine mandates for healthcare workers. Litigation counsel for the new Civil Liberties Alliance, Janine Yunus, gives us the details when we come back. But first, I want to talk to you about securing your digital information. Big tech is taking advantage of us. They're mining our data, remining it, selling our data. Guess what? We don't benefit from it. They count their money and abuse your privacy. You know what? If you think your emails, texts, and messages are private, think again. That's where Secure comes in. Secure's email platform is 100% private. It's Swiss-hosted. They use their own servers in Switzerland and have no ties to American big tech companies. With Secure, there's no data mining whatsoever. It's completely private. This is what makes Secure different from every other email and messaging provider out there. Secure is the best email platform in the world when it comes to security and privacy. It's unmatched. Look, there's a reason Secure built their company the way they did. We need to make a stand and take back our privacy from the big tech monopolies. With my discount code BUCK, Secure will only cost you $7.50 a month for full access. That's nothing. Go to Secure.com today and create your Secure email address and account. Use promo code BUCK for 25% off for a whole year. That's S-E-K-U-R.com, secure.com, promo code BUCK. We'll be right back with more Hold the Line. Federal judge blocks the Biden administration's vaccine mandate for healthcare workers, ruling, quote, if human nature and history teach anything, it is that civil liberties face great risks when governments proclaim indefinite states of emergency, during a pandemic such as this one, it is even more important to safeguard the separation of powers set forth in our Constitution to avoid erosion of our liberties. Join me now to discuss new Civil Liberties Alliance Litigation Council, Janine Yunus. Janine, thanks for your time. Thank you so much for having me. So can you just update us on where does this stand right now when we're talking about courts that have said the mandate is not going to go forward, should not go forward, how many? Where are they? What, where does this whole thing stand right now? So there are actually about four excellent decisions from federal courts at the moment having to do with Biden's executive order uh, as to the vaccine mandates. So three came out over the last two days. There was uh, one about federal contractors and then two were the healthcare workers. And then the Fifth Circuit a couple of weeks ago uh, issued a stay of the OSHA mandate. So, uh, by, you know, to put it bluntly, his uh, executive order has been hobbled significantly. It's uh, barely in effect at this time. So w w on, what are the grounds on which these, these I'm sure there's different reasoning used by the different decisions, but what's the, the basics of it is just that OSHA is far exceeding its mandate. I mean, what is the constitutional objection that the courts are raising now, pr primarily? Broadly speaking, there's sort of the overarching theme is that the president just doesn't have the authority to issue this sort of mandate. Um, he's commandeering statutes and agencies and private companies in order to effectuate his goal of vaccinating Americans, forcing Americans to get vaccinated. And the courts are finding, no, the president doesn't actually have the authority to do this, which he doesn't. So these are the correct decisions. Now, where does this leave it at this stage? So you have a universal injunction just came down earlier this week against the OSHA mandate, right? So that means across the country, a federal judge has said, you can't go forward with this. What are the, the next stages and the next steps as this process plays out? 
So the OSHA mandate was actually from the Fifth Circuit. Um, so that was three judges. That's It's an even bigger decision because it's a court of appeals. The others, so the uh, contractor mandate only applies in three states, uh, Kentucky, Ohio, and Tennessee. That had to do with some sort of specifics about the nature of the claim that was raised. However, um, it would be considered persuasive authority in other jurisdictions. So I hope that lawyers uh, go ahead and file suits in those in other areas, and they should be getting the same outcomes. The healthcare workers one last uh, yesterday was just extended to the entire country. So there were actually two decisions. Uh, the first one from Missouri only applied to about seven states, and then there was another decision from Louisiana yesterday that extended it to all states. And um, these are all excellent decisions. They also raise issues. Uh, they question why natural immunity isn't being recognized. So for the first time, we're getting some um, some courts noting that. And uh, on the issue of the Supreme Court weighing in here, how would that, you mentioned a Court of Appeals, the Fifth Circuit has already come down uh, with a three a three judge panel on the OSHA mandate. So how quickly and, and could the Supreme Court weigh in and, and when would we know? Um, it could happen quickly. I'm not entirely sure how this is going to play out. I suspect that it's going to play out at a lower court level for a little longer before it gets to the Supreme Court. But I suspect at some point it will get there. I, I can't imagine the court dodging this. So do you think the Supreme Court will will rule? Do you have any sense as to, based on the makeup of the court, do you believe that it will? I mean, I hate asking someone to make a Supreme Court prediction on TV, but I'm kind of doing that. Do you think that they'll allow the OSHA mandate to go forward or will they strike it down? I can't imagine that the court will allow the OSHA mandate to go forward. Um, I I really hope not anyway. It's it's clearly illegal. It's clearly uh, exceeds the president's powers to, to issue this kind of mandate. Is there any also a concern in legal circles about uh, the Biden administration perhaps trying a, an end run on this by either withdrawing the OSHA mandate and then trying you know, to go through an HHS mechanism or, or other means of using federal government power to get the same effect? Is that something you're looking at? Is that something that people are preparing for? I haven't been hearing anything about that specifically, but one thing that they are doing is continuing to kind of extend the deadlines so that it makes it harder to show that there's any kind of, of imminence. So uh, we currently have an, uh, a lawsuit in the Southern District of Texas pending for the federal employees. Um, and the, uh, that mandate was just extended. Biden told um, you know the agencies that they shouldn't enforce this until at least mid-January. So it does uh, seem a little bit as though they're almost Employing with people so that they can't establish that they have an imminent harm so they can't get injunctions. By the way, I wanted to switch gears for a second, something related but a little different. New York's Governor uh, Hochul signed an executive order to postpone non-essential, non-urgent elective surgeries. What's, I mean, is, is there a way people could challenge this? It just seems she's doing this before we even know if the Omicron variant, and this is even according to Fauci today, in the White House press conference, is it more transmissible? Is it more dangerous? They don't know. But the governor of New York is just signing executive orders to postpone surgeries. I mean, is that is that lawful? It's definitely not smart. It's, well, <laughs> uh, I mean, what we've seen over the past couple of years is exactly this kind of thing. And these uh, these executives just keep extending their own emergency powers and then issuing orders. I mean, de Blasio in New York City, his vaccine passport program was actually um, implemented under these emergency powers. There's no, you know, the, if this is an emergency, I don't know what, what isn't. Uh, and what we're seeing is just people using the word emergency, these executive officials using the word emergency in order to 
exercise ultimate power over the population. And they also, they haven't learned anything. This canceling of elective surgeries, that's, it's been uh, very you know, terrible for the American public, what, what happened in uh, early 2020, where all sorts of elective surgeries, cancer screenings were canceled. And now we're seeing more and more people showing up with advanced cancers and uh, much more complicated problems that can't be dealt with uh, the way that they would have been earlier. So nobody's learning any lessons and the governor absolutely should not be having uh, emergency powers anymore. The legislature should be reining this in and they aren't. Thanks so much, Janine, for being with us. Appreciate the expertise. Thank you so much for having me. CNN pushes for bringing back indoor mask mandates because of the new variant. The fear mongering is hitting a high level, folks. We'll get into that coming up in quick hits. First, I want to tell you about my digital money. Crypto is hot, right? You can make big gains if you get in at the right time. Bitcoin, Ethereum, a lot of digital tokens out there. Where do you get started? Where my digital money comes in. It's an easy to use, self-trading crypto IRA platform with concierge level customer service. It's one of the few US-based crypto companies that'll answer your phone call and help you get started. They offer an unparalleled military-grade security for your coins. Look, when it comes to your money, you need somebody you can trust. You need a team of dedicated professionals. That's what you'll have with My Digital Money answering the phone. Go to MyDigitalMoney.com, MyDigitalMoney.com. Quick hits coming up next. New York City Mayor Bill de Blasio drawing fierce criticism yet again, of course. And if you're unvaxxed and over the age of 12 and communist, not really communist, but it feels like that, Canada, you're no longer allowed on a plane or train. Yeah. It is time for quick hits. But first, you know what's worked incredibly well? If you don't ever look at data or pay attention or know anything, mask mandates work, worked phenomenally well all over the place, right? You see all these great stories, but oh my gosh, there was a COVID surge. And then because the mask mandate went into effect, it brought cases down 30%, 50%. 8%. No, you never see that actually. In fact, they institute a mask mandate and more often than not, when it's at the beginning of a surge, the surge continues and continues and continues. But they say, oh, well, it would have been worse without the masks. Well, no, when you look at a place right next door without the mandate, guess what? About the same. Gee, what a shock. But CNN, they're Fauciites over there. And here's what they say about mask, man mask, man <coughs> mask mandates. Our best protection now against the variant would be to get the booster dose for those who haven't already. Though we also cannot forget about the other measures that have been in place as well, including indoor masking, which I believe that states and local jurisdictions and businesses that have let go of indoor mask mandates, they should bring it back as well as an additional step to protect against Omicron. Oh, yes, the mask mandates will protect us against Omicron. That's what they're telling us. Oh, boy. What else are they doing here in New York City? Oh, that's right. Mayor Bill de Blasio patting himself on the back for opening the country's first legal drug injection site. They're calling them shooting galleries. Watch. This is an approach. We call it overdose prevention centers because that's literally what it is. It's an effort to save lives of folks we're losing right now. So yep. Now, look, we obviously don't want anyone to overdose on drugs, and we certainly want to make sure the people who are addicts get the help that they need. But setting up state-sanctioned, or in this case, city-sanctioned places where people will be shooting up heroin does seem to be part of an attitude of creating more permissive environments for illicit activity, considering that this is, of course, also still legal at the federal level. You're not allowed to have heroin, period. Um, but this is what they're doing, and I wonder what the statistics will actually show on whether it brings down Overdose, overdose deaths, or if it just increases usage. 
people say, oh, well, okay, well, now I just know where I can go do it and do it there, and that's fine. Oh, my. Unvaccinated travelers over the age of 12 are now barred from planes and trains in Canada. Unvaccinated travelers are no longer able to board a plane or passenger train in Canada, and a negative COVID-19 test will no longer serve as a substitute for most people. The stringent new requirement comes into effect as Canada reacts to the emergence of the new highly mutated Omicron variant of the coronavirus. So, yeah, they're doing the travel, uh, the travel restriction based on vax mandates. So not a surprise. That's actually what's going on here. Um, oh, also in the unsurprising category, Dr. Fauci tells you that, yes, everyone who comes to America has to be tested for COVID, except for illegal immigrants. That's like a whole different thing. Has you advised the president about the possibility of new testing requirements for people coming into this country? Does that include everybody? The answer is yes, because you know that the new, uh, uh, the new uh, uh, regulation, if you want to call it that, is that anybody and everybody who's coming into the country needs to get a test within 24 hours of getting on the plane to come here. But what about people who don't take a plane and just these border crossers coming in in huge numbers? You know, that's, that's a different issue. Ah, uh, yes, a different issue. That's it for tonight's Hold the Line. Before we go, I wanted to thank you for watching The First TV and remind you of how important it is to support conservative content. America may have been founded on the idea of freedom, but it's become clear the far left has a different agenda. Sadly, our freedom is not guaranteed, and we all have to act to defend it. You can do that by supporting us here at The First TV. As a First TV supporter, you'll become part of the only network dedicated to protecting the free speech that we all cherish and push back against the woke mob that wants to destroy this country. You'll also get access to premium content from all your favorite hosts, receive exclusive emails and membership benefits, enjoy specials on demand through our website and The First TV app, video calls and chats with our hosts, and premium live access from events across the country. Becoming a First TV supporter is easy. Just visit thefirsttv.com or log into the First TV app for more information. And if you do it today, you'll get 20% off the first year of your annual subscription. The No Spin News with Bill O'Reilly is up next. Shields high.